Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of SGX. How's it going? How's your weekend? We're recording this a day after like the Lunar New Year festivities. As a Chinese man, I must say, despite the COVID restrictions of having to you know stay at home, I didn't visit that many people and yet I'm still pooped. This is my first year as a married man, by the way. I was supposed to collect my ang from you. Sorry, dude. Window has closed. Actually, that's not true. Lunar New Year lasts like 15 days, so window's still relatively open. <laughs> but you know what? I ate bakwa this week, so I, I was quite happy. How about you, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a pretty exciting weekend. I managed to get in my own festivity. Actually, I was spending the weekend with one of our guests today. Let's just jump into it and introduce Dr. Fahan into the virtual studio. Dr. Fahan, how are you? Hello. Hi, Rovik. Hi, Elliot. Thanks for having me on. I just saw you two days ago. Yeah, it was fun. Over the Chinese New Year weekend, Rovik and my husband, Imran, are best friends. So We're talking about Imran from the previous episode, right? Yes, yes. So Imran and I did the Islam in Singapore episode, and I think uh, Dr. Fan felt a bit jealous so she was like I want to do an episode too <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind that but Dr. Fan is actually an expert in her field today we're going to be talking about the topic of aging and dementia which is you know you can't talk about Singapore without looking at some of our demographics and I think the aging conversation has been a very interesting one and Dr. Fan has of course been doing tons of work in this field she's a thought leader and an opinion leader and actually we're very privileged Elliot to have her on the show to give us our insights and our opinion. I'm so grateful. Every time a guest comes on, that we get to tap into some of the most brilliant minds that Singapore has to offer. Let's find out a little bit more about you, Dr. Farhan. You know, what do you do in your current role and why do you choose to be a geriatrician? Well, that's quite a mouthful, isn't it, Elliot? So I see older people, which really is confusing because... Every doctor sees older people. Older people have lots of medical illnesses usually, so they tend to use a lot of healthcare. To explain what I actually do, I just want to talk a little bit about a patient whom I met recently. She was this really, really nice 80-year-old. She's a lovely little old lady. With COVID, old people are asked to stay at home. So her job volunteering at her kids' library, at the kids' school library, was discontinued. She couldn't come in anymore. So she became increasingly depressed. And what do you think she did? Did she like just watching a lot of TV and get very depressed. Yes, and she started drinking. You watch Channel 8 dramas, I believe. You know, that's what I do when I watch like some Channel 8 dramas. I don't get it. It's not the best media consumption I've had, so drinking has sometimes been my solution. So, unfortunately, a daughter called her at 8pm and then uh, she was fine. A uh, daughter called again at 8am, a uh, little old lady lives alone, and there was no answer. So she rushed over. This old lady was on the floor, you know, and she was very, very confused. Oh, no. And there was a bottle of hot liquor with a can of Coke by her side. So she ended up in hospital and they found that she had some fractures of the spine, probably an injury with a fall. And many things happened to her, including she was slapped on diapers, she became incontinent, she was given lots of pain medications that made her constipated. So in the end, she left hospital with uh, four appointments, lots of medications, and very confused. She was actually really, really sharp. You know, she's an educated woman. But then she, you know, she started becoming forgetful. And at times she started looking for her husband who had passed on 10 years ago. So her daughter was really alarmed and then she came to see me. So this, it's right up my alley. She's confused. She was in pain. She couldn't walk. She was on diapers where previously she was well, you know. And just to understand that better, theoretically, some of these issues in isolation, they would go to someone else, right? Depression, they would probably go to a psychiatrist, someone who has a fracture, they'll probably go to a specialist. But it's because it's related to aging. That's why you come into the picture and you provide 
a more holistic angle on this. I like to say it as like I'm the one-stop shop. You know, an old person comes rather than going to five places, like I, I can sort of sort her out. So we were told that little children are not mini adults. And in a lot of ways, yeah, I mean, they're not like a small size adult where you, you know, if they are like 10 kilos, you give, you know, one fifth of the dose. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So older people, they are also entirely different. I've come to realize that an older person is not like you and me in 30 years, you know, um, the way they present with illness, it's entirely different. The way we manage drugs, it's entirely different. And I think this topic is super important because in Singapore, we're facing an increasingly aging population increased life expectancy, decreasing birth rates. In 2018, Singapore is reported as having one of the highest life expectancies in the world. It's around 84.79 years in 2018 compared to 76.1 years back in 1990. And by 2035, it was estimated that around 32% of Singaporeans will be aged 65 and above, while the median age was also expected to rise from 39.7 in 2015 to 53.4 in 2015. So, of course, the Singapore government is very concerned about this from a number of different reasons. First of all, I think from an economic reason, it's about looking at the workforce. But as I was doing research on this episode, and Dr. Fan, when you when you introduced this topic to me, as I was going down the rabbit hole, I realized this topic is so multifaceted. There's just so much to, to look at. But today I thought we can focus on on the features of healthcare and caregiving in Singapore. I think that gives us a good entry point into what are the real needs in this area and how we can maybe think about topics like dementia, topics like integrated care. These are all buzzwords in Singapore that, that are coming about and we can maybe dissect some of those things. Let's start by understanding actually what are some of the health issues associated with aging. Right? We've talked a bit about some of the ailments that, that they have to endure, but let's find out a bit about actually what are some of the common conditions. When it comes to health issues, let's look at the World Health Organization and see what they classify as health issues. This in respect to, let's say, like older age. right? So common conditions in older age usually include stuff like hearing loss, cataracts and refractive errors, back and neck pain, osteoporosis, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases, uh, I assume that's like heart stuff, uh, diabetes, depression, and dementia. You know, furthermore, as people age, they are more likely to experience several conditions at the same time. So this is not just about what the individual things are. It's more of the compounding of all these things that come together. And I can see why that's a big, a big issue, right? I've heard of people who can't get treated for certain illnesses because they have something else. Let's say they fracture a bone, but they have diabetes at an old age. And that, you know, might have stuff like osteoarthritis or osteoporosis to go along with it. It just makes things a bit more tricky. Am I, am I right to say that, Dr. Fahad? It sounds so depressing, right? Your ears get bad, your eyes get bad, your kidneys fail, you get diabetes, your lungs get bad, you know. I like to think of it this way. Do you know when your brain is the heaviest, Elliot? Yeah, Dr. Fahad, I'm very honest with you. I don't think I've ever had the most brain cells. It's just not one of my characteristics. <laughs> I'm going to imagine it's when we are in our like growing age, so like probably like five and above. Yes, perfect. Right. Oh my goodness, I'm a genius. Your ego just inflated. No one tells me I'm right on this show. So like, I, I appreciate the affirmation, Dr. Fahad. Brain is heaviest uh, at the age of five. But, right, when I say heaviest, it means you have the most number of brain cells. But are you more intelligent now than you were at the age of five. How do you actually get smarter? We get smarter by making connections. It's about like sending signals throughout the brain and you get smarter by reinforcing those connections. So the more you practice something, the more 
the stronger these connections are. As you age, you accumulate life experiences. The concept of making connections is called neuroplasticity. That's something that we gain, you know, with age. We don't just lose. You don't lose eyesight, your bones get brittle, you know, you get osteoporosis, you fracture. I mean, we really gain so much, not just in terms of knowledge, experience, but relationships. That's where with longevity comes opportunity. Older age is also characterized by several complex health states that tend to occur only later in life and that do not fall into discrete like disease categories. So like we're talking about geriatric, I guess, issues here where things compound each other. So you're talking about like brain deterioration. That could be one factor. But let's say I have dementia and hence I'm confused easily. The chances of me falling down the stairs and injuring part of my body is made worse only because my bones are more brittle. When something is called uh, a syndrome in medicine, it just means that we don't know the exact cause. For example, there is a syndrome called metabolic syndrome. Yeah, I mean, there are a few syndromes that are famous in medicine, like Down syndrome, for example, would be one. When things start to group together and then mm. it becomes like a clinical uh, complex. Dr. Farhan, you mentioned about dementia. We should double-click on dementia a bit because this has been in the news a lot. I think there's been a lot of government campaigns around this topic. Dementia is a condition that causes progressive intellectual decline, leading to increasing difficulties in coping with everyday activities. The condition affects the brain, causing the brain cells to die at a faster rate than normal. And as a result, the mental abilities of the person declines. So some of the things that you'll see is failing memory, deterioration of intellectual function, personality changes. But what's interesting, it's not a part of normal aging. I always thought that, you know, as you grow older, you should expect memory loss. You should expect not being able to think as well. But, you know, I think of my grandparents and they are very healthy human beings. They definitely have their memory. They're wonderful people. And so they've been lucky to be to have been spared from dementia. I can definitely agree with this. According to the well-being of the Singapore elderly study led by the Institute of Mental Health in 2015, one in 10 people aged 60 and above may have dementia. And this translates to almost 82,000 people in 2018. The number is expected to exceed 100,000 in a few years' time. We can think of many world leaders who are well in their 70s, you know, well in their 80s, who are still contributing. Even PM Lee Hsien Long is pretty old, yeah? Uh, we can look at across the causeway at Mahade. Lee Kuan Yew, he was productive really till later age. In certain areas of the world, like for example in Okinawa, Okinawa is a blue zone. When we call an area, a blue zone, it means that there are lots of old people and in Okinawa, there are lots of people above 100. So they've studied these older people and many of them are still active and still contributing. I've heard that if you you know, play mental games like Mahjong and Shogi, I guess if you're in Japan and stuff, that can help. Like there are certain exercises you can do to try to keep your brain healthy. There is an anti-dementia campaign with the tagline, use it or lose it. So you've got to use your brain or you lose it. Keeping mentally active, that's really important and it it is part of uh, healthy aging. Dementia is very common and that's why it's important. It's also um, a very debilitating disease. It consumes a lot of healthcare. It also affects not just the patient, but the entire family. It sounds like because dementia is a condition that people have to live with, if you have a fracture, you know you can go to the hospital and get it fixed. But with dementia, it's it's quite difficult and it's something you kind of just have to, to endure, not just as an individual, but as a family. And I think what I'm hearing from you, Dr. Fan, is that because it's such a, a widespread issue now, a lot of families don't know how to deal with it. There's been a lot more conversations and a lot more engagement on the topic to help equip them 
to deal with it as it comes up. It is tough to be a caregiver. So let's talk a bit about caregiving. Because this is, as G explained, we'll take a Singaporean lens to it and to see actually how we've approached aging, uh, especially from a, from a healthcare and caregiving perspective. Early days, right? If we think about Singapore's early days, I think the, the term that normally comes to mind is kampong, right? And uh, that, that was really the olden way of looking at our elderly, looking at aging. Uh, aging was something that happened Within the community, families used to take care of, of the aged within their communities. And you could also see that it was seen as a responsibility that the community bore, right? So it wasn't just the family necessarily. It was your neighbors. It was your friends and relatives who all were living nearby. Now, of course, as Singapore evolved, policymaking started to influence things a bit more. Singapore took on a very unique brand of a minimalist approach to social welfare, right? Meaning that it preferred not to be too heavy-handed in its intervention. It preferred to put the responsibility back on the family, right? So it took the lens of an Asian culture of filial piety and the emphasis on familial support as a primary line of elder care. So this starts in the 1980s. So in its first incarnation, there was a committee on the problems of the aged that was assembled in 1982, led by the Ministry of Health, to basically provide recommendations on how to approach the topic of aging. So it made a report called the Report of the Committee on the Problems of the Aged, not very creative. And the recommendation was to improve societal attitudes towards aging and the elderly. So it included fostering greater filial piety, responsibility among children and relatives for their parents and elders as a crucial form of social and old age support. It valued the integration of elderly in the families and society instead of the extreme measure of institutionalization. Very early days, right? It, it was basically saying the responsibility should still be in the family. The report also highlighted the need for sustained contribution of the elderly to society and the economy. It recommended a couple of stuff, including raising the retirement age and the age for retirement funds from the CPF. This was emblematic of that development period, right? 1980s, it's the period where Singapore's rapid urban transformation was happening, and there was a lot of widespread urban resettlement of its population, from shop houses and Kampong village to high-rise public housing. There was a breakdown of previously close-knit families and communities, like I talked about in the Kampong mindset, and they had to reinforce measures to foster family ties, neighborliness, and multi-generational family living in this new urban living environment. I, I'm imagining in a kampong, if Mr. Lim goes out every day and walks past your home, you know, you're out, you're doing chores, you see him. When he doesn't walk past, you realize that something is wrong. But we have older people who live alone and they're on the floor, they're injured and nobody knows till days later. I mean, the ones that I said the neighbor notices, that would be the lucky person. With modernism and, you know, with people not living in their that intergenerational household society is more fragmented. So there still is a struggle. Caregiving is not a small task. So maybe we can look a little bit more progressively and move into the 1990s where they started coordinating like a national approach to realize the idea of this thing called successful aging, right? And see whether or not these uh, things are retained and how we kind of built upon the foundations uh, set off in like the 80s. The National Survey of Senior Citizens in Singapore was conducted in the year 1995 and it examined the characteristics needs and problems of senior citizens, whether it was like finance, employment, uh, retirement, caregiving being one of the key ones, uh, mobility, 
of course, very important to make sure that, you know, uh, our old people can still move around. Awareness and use of community-based health and support services. And of course, like, you know, living arrangements as well. Uh, so the home and domestic environment. Now, the survey outcomes were envisioned to help urban planners, policymakers, and service providers better meet the needs of senior citizens and their caregivers. These findings were reflected in the report of the Interministerial Committee of the Aging Population, also known as IMC, in 1999, so towards the end of the 90s. The essential thrusts featured in the committee's vision focus on all the stuff that we kind of listed earlier on. Uh, and the IMC established a holistic vision of successful aging and the approach of many helping hands, kind of building on the idea of the kampong spirit, which called for collective effort at four levels, right? So now it's kind of distinct what the categories are. They wanted to address this at the individual, the family, the community, and the state to prepare Singapore for the challenges of an aging population. Nonetheless, you know, the government's emphasis on family being the primary caregiver had largely kind of continued on, and the report established that the state should only help families and the community play their role, not supplant them. Now, the IMC report also introduced the principle of aging in place to develop strategies such as elder-friendly homes and environments, variety of housing options, uh, integrated community planning and increased provision of healthcare and social services for elders by voluntary welfare organizations, so like the VWOs. And both the successful aging and aging in place policy direction had since guided a greater part of Singapore's approach towards tackling its aging population. By and large, what we're looking at here is uh, the government trying to give more guidelines trying to give a more structured approach, but still saying, let let it be in the hands of the people first before we intervene too hard. I will say that it did articulate probably the first time we've seen this, its own role. In, in the 1980s, it still primarily saw it as the family's role, and it was about encouraging families to play its role better. In the 1990s, it's saying, all right, yes, we have a role, but it's to help you do your role better. That's right, that's right, that's right. If you uh, look at the numbers, there is a silver tsunami coming, isn't it? So in 2030, one in four Singaporeans will be above the age of 65. That means one million people will be considered senior citizen. You definitely cannot build like 10,000 nursing homes to house 1 million people, right? Firstly, that isn't space. Singapore is so small. So it makes sense that we make every living space, all common areas, elder-friendly. And I find that when you build, when you design the environment for the disabled or for the weak and vulnerable in society, everyone uses it. I mean, who uses RAMs? I have uh, babies, I push PRAMs uh, using RAMs, you know. My little children use the handicap, as in the low handicap toilet sink. It's good for everyone. A lot of this continued in the 2000s. So in 2001, the Ministry of Community Development and Sports published the Elder Care Master Plan. So this is, you know, very classic Singapore. There's a master plan in mind. Uh, and the master plan highlighted a key strategy to conceive, plan and build community-based facilities for elders as part of a national infrastructure just as markets, schools, and hospitals were also planned. The Many Helping Hands approach extended beyond the state to include community, families, and senior citizens themselves to develop suitable physical infrastructure, community service systems, and programs for elderly and caregivers. This also included funding policies and public education and the dissemination of community-based facilities were located at purpose-built community clubs run by the People's Association, Neighborhood Community Service Centers, and Resident Committee Centers, which are also known as RCs. 
Secretary service facilities were also located at void deck serving specific zones of the housing estate. So you can actually kind of map these things to the Singapore stage of development, right? So 2000 was, of course, the year where there was a lot of look at like meta infrastructure, looking at how they can create systems of systems. And the master plan was really in that effort to modernize our approach to aging. There was also a committee on aging issues set up in December of 2004 as an interagency forum, which could continued to build upon the proposals of all the committees and acronyms we've mentioned before. In the 2006 report on the aging population, it recognized three sectors of public, private, and people who would contribute to achieving its long-range view of successful aging for Singapore. There were a couple of key policy recommendations. The first was housing for seniors, so elder-friendly housing. Second was accessibility for seniors, so barrier-free society. The third is caring for seniors, so holistic and integrated affordable health care and elder care system. And four, opportunities for seniors, active lifestyles and well-being. After this report, a high-level ministerial committee on aging was established, more committees, <laughs> under the purview of the Ministry of Health to coordinate various national efforts. This included the concept of active aging to promote successful aging. So we just need to remember four key thrusts of aging aging policy, and this continues to underpin aging policy in Singapore. The first is aging in place, which we've talked about. The second is active aging, meaning that you don't see aging as a regressive step in your life. You see it as something that you embrace, continue staying healthy, continue being social. And the third is healthcare and elder care. And the fourth is employment and financial security. And like I said today, we're going to focus a bit on the healthcare and elder care piece. Changes in family structure, social norms, and living arrangements, longer life expectancy, and increased chronic health issues began to stretch existing housing, healthcare, and community elder care options. And so the Ministerial Committee on Aging's agenda focused on aging in place through creating an inclusive age friendly city environment for seniors to move around safely and confidently within their homes and within the community. This was according to the Minister of Health, Gun Kim Yong, who is still our Minister of Health. It would integrate elder services with housing developments. So they had elderly studio apartments, co-location of elder care services at HDB block void decks, and they also coordinated healthcare and aged care services more effectively through integrated one-stop facilities. When we think about all these acronyms and we think about all these programs that were that were being released. Actually, at the heart of it, what was happening and what was the evolution and how we look at aging? It's all very confusing. I have patients and family that come to me and say, I really don't understand what all these services are or like, you know, what uh, mom needs or what dad needs. The infrastructure is there and all the programs you know, are available. It's a matter of right placement and also sort of selling it to the family, to the patient that, okay, this this is suitable for you. Aging in place is great because there's going to be so many um, seniors. But when we talk about how do they how do they use these services that are available, like what is appropriate care, that's where the challenge is. Yeah, so actually I'm pretty fortunate because in my family, both my grandparents and my parents are like super healthy people. My grandmother, she is in her late 80s. She goes out every single day for walks. She lives in Tampanese, but will go to MBS for lunch and then like maybe go to Pongo for dinner just because she wants to eat something in particular, you know? That's the kind of woman she is. She talks to me very coherently. Uh, she can discuss and she uses WhatsApp, which I think is a miracle. And I didn't have to teach her, you know, isn't that crazy? I didn't have to teach her how to use WhatsApp. By and large, I've seen them age quite gracefully. I've also had my father's side. You know, my grandparents on, on that side lived till a old, an old age, but they had a very, 
let's let's say a rough a rough exit plan. They had dementia, both of them, and they had many like kidney failures that went along with it. So in terms of like caregiving and whatnot, uh, it came down to the burden of my dad and his three brothers, and they had to juggle. You know, okay, who's who's uh, mom gonna stay with? They had to juggle like, okay, do we need a helper now? Is the helper capable enough to uh, take care of you know? Uh, my my grandmother. The amount of information that they were privy to, and this is we're talking about like nineties uh, and early two thousands, was not not a lot. Right? They didn't have that many uh, resources. I felt that they could have reached out to. In fact, they kind of like shouldered that burden to the point where I think even my grandmother knew, like she was becoming a burden. And one day she just like tried to be a recluse and and just isolated herself from everyone else. In terms of like what I envision for my parents and how I would like a society to evolve for aging would very much be in the amount of resources. Because different people, different old folks will have different needs. Some people like my current grandmother on my mom's side, I think we just need to make it safe for them. They are already active enough and they have the mental agility to maybe uh, go about their day and age gracefully. But I understand that, that not everyone can have that. So it's not so much about what services, but um, in specific, but the range of services to provide for a wide pool of people. No one wants to live in disability, right? So you, you want to live long, but you want to live well. We don't want to live forever, but we want to live as best as we can and maintain dignity and maintain independence. Actually, amongst all these programs and policies we talked about, right, the one that connected to me the most was actually the most recent set of programs. So in 2011, they announced the this project called the City of All Ages. And it wasn't to tackle aging by seeing it as an isolated issue, but by actually seeing how we can embrace aging as just a, a part of overall society, right? And when I think about what my parents would want and I think about what I would want, it's to it's to find a way to to embrace aging and to embrace growing old happily together with some of the other interests I have, whether it's uh, building a career, whether it's building a family, etc. And so there were some of these ideas of co-location of services, uh, community-based services, intergenerational interactions. So they came up with uh, a couple of buzzwords. The one that I like is Kampong for all ages. They also have these concepts of like active aging hubs where seniors can live and commute independently in their own homes or communities. And the idea was that we could live alongside those who are aging and we can see them as part of our society, part of our communities and, and take care of them, not because we see it as an obligation, but because you know, it's just what it means to live in our community and society. It's right? a norm, right? Is what you're saying? Yeah. And so that, that shifting in paradigm, I think, is an interesting one that maybe requires a bit of dismantling of, of some of the ideas we have about life and how we want to build careers, right? And I think a lot of that is something that I myself have to have to learn to unlearn. So we don't look at elderly services as something that stand alone, right? Rather, it's something that all of us is um, involved in. So there are a few... Uh, sort of informal caregiving services where social workers are embedded in the community to help foster these uh, kampung spirit relations. So you may have like the housewife who, you know, send, sends the kid for kindergarten and then it's sort of free in the early part of the day. So the housewife can sort of come down and, you know, help with a little bit of um, cleaning or maybe uh, bring the 80-year-old neighbor to the polyclinic, you know, that sort of thing. So these social workers 
who exist in some HDB estates, they play this role. Like they play matchmaker. They know, you know, who's living in which flat, who has free time. And then they, they link people up like that. Very cool. Maybe we're going to talk a little bit about like caregiving in a bit more specific in terms of like kind of support that they, they have right in this day and age, right? So there's this growing demand for daycare and dementia care facilities for senior citizens as, you know, I think we kind of like premised throughout the show. And as of 2018, there were 78 senior activity centers, almost double the amount in 2011. The Lian Foundation, actually, they did this study to kind of like show the kind of like services and categorically define them for us um, in, in regards to like how we can uh, do and go about having caregiving, right? So here are the five, uh, I guess, broad categories. The first one is for nursing homes, right? Nursing homes provide residential care for seniors, who have limited family support and uh, or, you know, maybe they are unable to be cared for at home or in the community. Now, these seniors will also require significant assistance with their daily activities and you know, the, the skilled nursing care on a daily basis. We also have palliative care services, so you know, such as like inpatient palliative care, home palliative care, and day hospice services. Uh, these are generally for seniors who require terminal or end-of-life care. So, you know, it's it's close to the end of days, but you want a graceful way of saying goodbye. Uh, the third one is for like center-based care services. So we're talking about like daycare, uh, community rehabilitation, center-based nursing. And these are generally for seniors with some form of family support already, but they do require care in the day near near their home, near where they're staying. So kind of like the way you would drop off your kids a, a childcare center. Sometimes it's very difficult for two working adults all right, to take care of both their kids and their parents. So they need these sort of like, okay, drop you off in the morning, after work, maybe come pick you up. That's pillar number three. Fourth one is on home care services. When we talk about home care services, generally we refer to like home medical care, you know, like doctors visiting or nurses visiting, uh, home therapy, so like for physio, for example, uh, home personal care. And these are for the seniors, you know, who probably are kind of like stuck at home. I think my great-grandfather, at a point in time was was in this sort of like needed this sort of care where he was more or less glued to his bed in his in his in his house and still you know required like his joints to be massaged and stuff like that. So uh, home care services very important. And last but not least, uh, the fifth pillar is informal care by family members and foreign domestic workers who are often in you know in this day and age still the main caregivers. I've learned that they actually do have training uh, for these foreign domestic workers to have some basic level of caregiving for seniors, especially those with uh, medical issues or those who might be uh, wheelchair-bound, for example. I would like to see more integration. So if there's an office building, you would notice that there's a childcare. So working parents drop off the kid and they go to work. Working parents tend to be the sandwich generation. You know, they are looking after small children and older parents. So if there was a model where you could drop off the kid and your older parent, wouldn't that be great? And having young children and old people interact, it's really a wonderful thing because, um, you know, young kids have so much energy. When they are with an older person, they tend to calm down. And the opposite happens in the older person. You know, they really like perk up. I mean, if you see an um, old granny with a baby in her lap, for right, example, right. And they get so excited. No wonder my, my mom keeps telling me to give her a grandkid this Lunar New Year. Yeah, working so late, working so hard. Going back to what we're talking about in terms of Kampong for all ages and then now this concept of integrated healthcare, I think that's really the next leap and bound. 
And it's not just about government policy, right? A lot of it is about how we think about aging and how we think about the elderly in our community. The best case in point, actually, is on this concept of dementia, right? So when we think about dementia-friendly communities, the Agency for Integrated Care, which is an agency in Singapore looking at a lot of these issues, has actually recommended a couple of, of different approaches. So the first is called Dementia Awareness. So it recommends a network of dementia friends who are aware of the ABCD signs and symptoms of dementia and can serve as community lookouts for persons with dementia. ABCD stands for activities, behavior, cognitive ability, and disorientation. So if you see any of these four issues, you kind of know that the person is probably suffering from dementia and you can help them out. Dementia friends can build on their skills to become dementia champions to support seniors or persons with dementia by befriending or engaging them. So it's really saying, can you as a person actually take on this responsibility and and actually look out for people in our community who may have dementia, right? There are a couple of other cool things that I thought was interesting. The first is they set up these things called go-to points. So go-to points are safe return points within the community where you can bring persons with dementia who may appear lost and unable to identify themselves. And the staff at the go-to points will assist in reuniting them with their caregivers. There's also technology. So there's a Dementia Friends mobile application that gives anyone resources, uh, useful information and events. Caregivers can also post cases of their loved ones who lost their way and the Dementia Friends app will receive push notifications to help keep a lookout. And there's infrastructure. So as you mentioned, Dr. Fahan, right, stuff like ramps, railings, uh, clearer signages of large trucks. It's basically saying we're going we're gonna to work to be inclusive and all our infrastructure is not going to be for the average person. It's going to be for everyone. Right. And, and it's be taking a needs approach to some of these things. And so, you know, just connecting that with these topics of integration, the topics of compound for all ages, I think it, we can really play a role like you and me, Elliot. Right. And, and actually thinking about how we can be dementia friends, how we can embrace elder care within our our communities. I, I love that sentiment. Actually, I would organize like a senior citizens uh, Dungeons and Dragons session if it helped them, you know, feel more engaged. <laughs> You're really using your skill set. I love it. That's kind of my thing. So, yeah. Uh, there's a lot that can be done with regards to prevention. There's so much about diabetes at the moment um, and diabetes itself is a risk factor for dementia. So, the time is now for us to put in dollars and cents into our, our health retirement account. That means all the things that we do uh, investing in our health like uh, the way we eat avoiding obesity the way we exercise all this would prevent our risk of developing all sorts of illnesses and that includes dementia dementia isn't uh, unique in that way yeah because the brain is such a vessel rich organ as in there's so much blood flowing into the brain that uh, we need to protect our blood vessels so we need to do all those things like have an active lifestyle. Elliot, you mentioned you had um, back and neck pain. It means that you're sitting down so much. You're on your computer. Yeah, you calling me out. <laughs> you need to get up, uh, be active, avoid smoking, alcohol. I mean, these are all the things that... Uh, that Elliot does. <laughs> I'm like almost everything that you listed on there. Okay, thanks for the wake-up call, Dr. Farhan. I really appreciate it. I think this enlightened view of aging is is very refreshing. I, I know at the national level, there's been a lot of different efforts 
to to tackle this. We talked about a couple of the policies recently, but we'd be remiss to not talk about, you know, probably the most famous campaign, which was the Pioneer Generation, right? So it's slightly nationalistic uh, to celebrate the 50 years anniversary, but also in a recognition of the fact that we, we have a lot to thank the elderly in our community because they were the pioneers in Singapore. Uh, in 2015, the Singapore government introduced a Pioneer Generation package to help citizens born before the year 1950 cope with health care and living expenses. And, you know, one of the things that we'll recognize is this thing called the Community Health Assistance Scheme. It gives you better rates at clinics. The Pioneer Generation package also has a lot of health care benefits. In 2019, the Medeca Generation package was launched to help baby boomers born during the 1950s. Uh, again, similar efforts around healthcare and living expenses. These are all signals of the enlightened view. I think there's a lot more conversations we can have around aging. But just to, to close this topic off around healthcare, caregiving, community support around aging and dementia, Dr. Fahan, you know, can you give us a glimpse into the future of what the space looks like? I think the future is hopeful. Because we have young people like you, Ravik and Elliot. Uh, I'm not young, I'm middle, middle age, I think. You know, we have so much interest um, among the young and it's a matter of engaging them further, uh, not just in conversation, but in taking action. We care for our age, we care for uh, the vulnerable. Overall, I think we learned quite a fair bit today. And, and on my end, I think some of the big takeaways that we've learned about this is not just about like what the problems that we're facing, and Dr. Fahan's insights actually have been pretty focalized for us. Like she focalized a lot of the not just immediate concerns, but future concerns for how we can't just be short-sighted about you know making services. We can't just think about how to treat problems, but also to kind of like slowly prevent these things from becoming like a major uh for lack of a better word, scourge on society. How can we make all of us become part of a solution as opposed to creating solutions you know what i'm saying like we don't just need institutions we need on the ground normalization of what it means to age so i i couldn't say it better dude i'm very thankful to have the opportunity to volunteer and to contribute to the sissy hospice right and that's looking at palliative care and end-of-life care and you can see people on their final days and those who are really happy They've, they've done a lot right and they've embraced aging and those who suffer, some of it's unfortunate and you can't be escaped, but a lot of it is self-imposed, right? They are vindictive and or they're resisting the, the aging process and the family members don't make it easy. So I think we all need to learn to to encourage it, to embrace it, and to support those in that process. I, Like I said before, I, I really think this conversation has a lot more to it. And in fact, you know, on that note, Dr. Fan, I, you know, you've been doing an amazing job just talking about these topics on not just in your in your day job, but also you're, you're going out there, you're advocating, you have a lot of social media uh, efforts on this front. We're going to put the links in the bio and I highly recommend people who are interested in the topic to go and click on it and to and to follow Dr. Fahad. But why don't you just share about what you're doing in the social media front? I'm active on Instagram. My username is geriatrician.sg. I have a Facebook page as well. Uh, so I do uh, monthly topics and that would include things like dementia, caregiving. I did a month on polypharmacy which is a really important topic where an older person takes a lot of tablets. This month I'm talking a lot about cancer. Cancer is uh, a really huge health concern for all of us. So cancer is a disease of uh, older people and there's 
so uh, many differences treating an older person with cancer than a younger one. Um, so I've got lots of quick tips. I've got diet and lifestyle tips as well. And I share a little bit about um, caregiving stories, um, a little bit about my patients and the experiences that they go through. Like I said, I highly encourage everyone to, to go check out the profiles and give it a follow if you find it meaningful. I think there's a lot that we can do to, to just learn and, and grow in our interest in this space. So on that note, Dr. Fan, once again, thank you for coming on this podcast. Thank you for sharing your insight. We're always very blessed uh, by people who share their expertise. And uh, I look forward to more great conversations. I, I definitely don't think this is going to be the last one. Thank you, Ravi and Elliot. Um, I learned so much. You guys are great. For our dear listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of SG Explained. It was our pleasure and hopefully you guys picked up something along the way. Every episode we strive to provide not just accurate information, but information that can be fun functional uh, for you guys in your day-to-day lives. So...